Hi everybody, welcome to our newest show, Geek Out Weekly. Uh, we're going to be taking a look every week at uh, a topic in depth, but probably a little more casual, a little more chilled out, a little more weekly. Uh, it's me, <laughs> Ben, and I'm joined by that lovely laughing man, Adol. Hey. Hey. Uh, we hope each week to have other guests uh, to do some sort of interviews and things like that as well. Bring you sort of a different show than we usually do uh, on uh, on every week. This week, as a first show, we thought we'd revisit one of the better TV shows from last year, The Mandalorian. Um, we're going to have a little chat about season one. Before at some point in the coming weeks, we'll probably have a chat about season two. Uh, maybe once it has all uh, released. So... We'll get into it, shall we, dude? Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. Okay, so, uh, Mandalorian, at least for us in the UK, released um, about October time, about a year ago, uh, on Disney+. Plus. When did Disney+, Plus start? Was it about october sort of time, september sort of time, something yeah, like there. that? And uh, they did the clever thing of releasing it weekly to make sure you didn't just have your week free subscription trial and then disappear after you've watched the only sort of original but show for the service. Can I say, mm-hmm. I get that we all want things on demand, but especially, um, one, it's just good marketing for water cooler type shows for like yeah. tentpole things. Like that's why Game of Thrones was Game of Thronesy. Yep. Um, in a way that like if they just dumped eight episodes, it would have, especially series eight, um, would have been different in like as a conversation piece. But I also yeah. like, um, Especially shows that have like an overarching story, but they aren't just uh, like a 16 hour movie or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I like the slow drip feed. I think it makes you, one, it lulls you into a false sense of this is better than I think, because often you see the flaws of things just from fatigue. You just like, Oh, I've watched three hours of this. I'm enjoying it. But also that actor always does that thing. Or you start noticing things because it's like one on one on one, like in repetition, but also it just gives you that feeling of revisiting and like yeah. it allows you to stew on in between episodes and think about things. And when it's like a well-made thing, that's better than uh, like, I wonder what would happen. I'm now thinking about the motivations of these characters and like what's going on, etc. versus next episode. Oh, that's what happened. Absolutely. Like, uh, yeah. I, I, it just I, it yeah. makes you more like reactive. Mm-hmm. Like I guess Interactive is what I actually think I want to say. You're more interactive with this thing, even though it's passive entertainment, just because your brain will do things in a way that if you just watch eight episodes of Mandalorian in a a row, you're going to be like, huh, I wonder. Matt, okay. Um, Yeah, anyway, continue. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. I I thought it was a a smart move Um, earlier, um, a couple of months ago, for The the Boys Season 2 for Amazon to uh, put that out weekly as well. You know, it was something that uh, my wife and I sat down each week to watch uh, rather than we would have just blitzed it out over a weekend or three or four days and never really thought about it again. Whereas now it's had more time. It's had the same amount of time with me, but it's had a bit more mind share uh, with me thinking about it in between episodes and things. And yeah, the Mandalorian works very well at doing that. Um, as you say, it's better that it's not kind of one big 16 hour movie as such uh, and I think that works quite well for the Mandalorian as well um, and does so for other uh, um, sort of um, TV shows stuff like um, 
Star Trek Discovery where, yes, there is that big through line of that storyline, but you have this episodic nature to it. There are those more contained stories to be told within this uh, bigger narrative as well. Uh, and I think that definitely helps uh, with The Mandalorian for them to have these kind of like these side stories that um, whilst they provide more on the characters and they do you know push the uh, push the story along a little bit it's just expanding it that that more making you care more about the mandalorian and the other characters in the show rather than just being like here is a big movie for you to kind of use to watch so yeah um should we start with i've given a little bit about our first impressions about how the show was kind of presented to us um, but why don't we run down some of our first impressions, what we think, uh, before diving into a few little, uh, a few little points that we want to expand upon. For sure. Um, so I'll go first, I guess. Uh, I really liked this. I liked it from scene one, uh, episode one, uh, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I realized sort of part way through, cause I actually, despite saying I like it weekly, I ended up watching it in like three chunks. Okay. Of like a couple episodes with some break in between. And that's when I realized, oh, actually I thought a lot more between chunk one and chunk two than episodes one and two. I was like, oh, I actually wish I had sort of kept up with the zeitgeist, but, um, I, uh, I realized that this is the Star Wars. This is why I love Star Wars. This felt Star Wars yeah. to me. Yep. Um, and it felt exactly like what I've been missing. Um, and I think it's a combination of things, which we'll get into, like quality of writing, um, world building, uh, scope, etc. But also, one of the things that a lot of, you know, horrible militant Star Wars nerds complain about is like things that are obviously made because it's still a kids series as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, Jar Jar is probably a great example. Like, in retrospect, yeah, I know people who are younger than me who never had the problems I did because when, uh, when episode one came out, I was already basically like almost an adult. Like I was in my late teens. Um, and if I was six, I would have reacted differently. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but this is, an adult show for adults. Mm-hmm. And because of that, they can lean into the grittier parts of Star Wars rather than trying to keep it clean except for the big bad, which is sort of one of the problems with uh, the newer trilogy is just like um, how much of the like, this is a lived in universe sort of felt lost. Uh, and this is basically why I love this is because most of it is kind of tiny it's a very small microcosm yeah uh it's from the bounty hunting perspective and it's like gritty um and a few small interactions of a few people and it's not that these are the main people of the universe deciding the fate mm-hmm. even with the, the 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 very adorable MacGuffin that's the heart of the series um it's like it's not like the whole world is 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 doing this it's like there's an unknown job by a small time dude as far as i know ex-empire right uh and we're just tracking the mando right uh and that's great and this it i realized like halfway through that oh this is what i wanted solo to be sure yeah okay right i wanted it to be about underbelly small Mm. few jobs 
you know, versus this crazy, we're trying to do the big Star Wars thing where the characters have superpowers, but he doesn't, but he's still like bouncing on a, a flying train and not dying because he's just acrobatic as well as a gunslinging smuggler. And you're like, this is too over the top for the kind of world Han Solo was supposed to be part of. Like the yes. whole point is he's kind of just a two bit smuggler until he bumps into Luke and Leia. Mm-hmm. And that's when his like more universe expanding more like, ah, uh, more than just I'm getting by smuggling life begins. And instead it's like, Oh, he's always kind of done these except for like the Kralia thing, right? Uh, or the, what is it? The Parsec thing, the Kessel run. Castle Run, thank you. Oh, Sate told you weekly. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so so I just felt like the it was like, oh, this is exactly what I want as an adult. It's also what I want as a spinoff that it's not leading so far into Jedi-ness mm-hmm. and like yep. the core stuff. It's just like, here's the universe. You know bits and bobs. You're going to learn other things. And we're also going to trust you to let us feed you that information slowly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, you... I, I agree. Uh, I, I love that it is a uh, a cast of unknown characters who don't have the weight of the universe on their shoulders. Uh, that this isn't the kind of the story of that universe, uh, and it's great that they've been able to kind of take characters and, and think, well, let's let's make something that is expanding upon Star Wars that tells the the the, the story of our created universe from different perspectives, uh, you know, revisits familiar locations, has familiar themes. Um, he's very much Star Wars, but it's a little grittier, it's a little more mature. It isn't as world ending as it, as the story could be. Uh, and I think there's definitely benefit in them exploring this on a wider scale as well. You know, I know that there's maybe an Obi-Wan Kenobi show coming, be interesting to see what part of his life that comes from. But again, it's Obi-Wan. So you would imagine that it's going to be a little bit bigger and the stakes may be a little I'm a- higher. But I mean, having seen this show, I'm hoping that... So you have to remember that like, he wasn't super happy with the Jedi mm. you know, in, uh, in the first trilogy um, rather than the original trilogy. Uh, Eps one, two, three, uh, yeah. he, and then, um, and we know Jedi's have to go in hiding because of the screw up that is Anakin. Um, I would love to see something like Kung Fu or, or, um, like the Incredible Hulk where he's a nomad. Just wandering. He, yeah. he has to go into hiding, but like, it might lean too much into the similar beats of this show. Um, but like, it would be great if it was, cause he can't be super out and out Jedi, cause they're now, like, big problem with Empire, who is in control at this point in time, right? Mm-hmm. Like, cause, cause the Obi-Wan show is supposed to take place between episode three and four, basically. Uh, and that's a 20 year time, yeah, right? Yeah. It's a Luke age time, so 17 maybe. Mm-hmm. But like, in that time, he's gotta have developed into being the hermit who lives on Tatooine, but, for a while there, he's probably just in hiding and, and roaming and maybe trying to look for other Jedi that aren't dead before he finally gives up and just looks over, like, watches over Luke, you know, from afar. Yeah. Um, and in that case, it's gonna, it, it will be more like a bounce around, but probably not world. Sure. 
role. Like, like this is in between his acts on the universal stage, mm-hmm. or the galactic stage. Yeah. And I think that's really cool, uh, or could be really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, good. Right. We'll get back to the, to the Mandalorian then. So let's have a little chat about the, about the story uh, and maybe any sort of standout kind of episodes or scenes that you ha- that you really liked from this that maybe, uh, helped back up what was happening and then, and the characters. Yeah. So I actually want to chat about, and don't worry, we're not going to do this for the whole thing, but episode one seems like the first like five, six minutes, that bar scene. Yeah. Um, because I think it, it set the tone and the, the rest of the show kind of delivered that tone, right? Mm. You, you get him, he, he walks into a bar, some dude's getting hassled. Uh, I think it's played by Horatio Sands, um, which is great. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, so there's this blue dude being hassled because apparently he's from a race with tasty glands, which yeah. is such a great way <laughs> to, um, show you what this movie is, mm. right? Or the show is, right? Because it's like, yes, this is, this is the part of Star Wars where people will, sentient beings may be killed because parts of them are tasty and they're bumped into in a bar, right? Like, boy, that just, it's like, hey, here's the grit. Just yeah. dump it down. Like, this is where we're starting. And then obviously, uh, this guy turns out to be a bounty. And so Mando, like, comes in, he gets harassed by these same people, beats them up in such a great way. Like, does a, it, it has a throwback to Moss Eisley with the, like, I don't like you. My friend doesn't like you either kind of vibes. And then he, uh, yeah, he dispatches one really quickly and then the other one runs away and he uses his, Mandalorian style, like, like, Boba Fett had the same thing, right? His grappling hook on his wrist, uh, to grab the guy's leg, drag him, dragging him back into the, um, the bar, and the guy grabs his, his own blaster to shoot him, and his response is to shoot the door and close it on the dude and slice him in half. And you're like, yep, that's our Mandalorian. <laughs> um, it is, it is a very good setup for kind of, for what's to come. Um, it, it, it may be, it presents the Mandalorian, I think this is one of the things I really like about the character. It presents the Mandalorian as quite a tough, very skillful character, but there's lots of times through the series that we see him like fallible and and weaker than a lot of other characters. And so, yeah, I would yeah. say not necessarily weak, but soft. Not like weaker, but, but weaker heart. than weaker as well than some other characters. You know, there are characters that can pick him up and just throw him around a room. You know, and he's and it's and it's not even his skill can't get him out of those situations sometimes. But to present him in this first instance as being this very skillful character. Is, is a good starting point to make you think, right, okay, we get, I get this, I get what's going to happen. Uh, I can see kind of where this character is within the, the wider world and how he has got to this point as well. Um, tracking bounties and being a successful, uh, being a successful hunter. Uh, I, I think for me, overall, I enjoyed the story. Uh, running in from that first episode, setting the tone kind of all the way through and, and again, seeing the Mando kind of warm to one of his bounties to the child uh, and kind of take him on as such as a protective role um, you know constantly having this back and forth about does he drop him off does he kind of keep him changes in his mind and all of that sort of stuff uh, to go back and taking on the empire to, to kind of get him back and and really understanding that he's not um, 
he's not a bounty. He's not really an asset as such. That he is a uh, like living a, a living character, uh, someone that he thinks has more worth, I suppose, than he has thought about previous bounties. Perhaps um, I think part of that may be the mysticism behind the the abilities that the cat the child has. Um, I actually let, don't think it's that though, okay. right? Because he didn't. He didn't grok that the the horned beast floating was the child necessarily. Yes, true. Yep. Um, the th- the thing that um, I th- I mean I what I like about so one thing is the writing of this is just really stellar. There's a lot mm. of subtle ways that they like point to this. Like the transition is this thing's worth a lot of money. I've got to protect it, but it's a like l- little baby. It's real cute. And so you kind of see his, that's mine, like that, that's my payday yeah, thing yeah. start because he keeps being protective. He ends up like slowly morphing into a caretaker without wanting to because he has to, because that's how he gets his pay. Like, so like the way they write, um, gets the thing, ship is broken, like stolen by Jawas, right? So now suddenly his quick, turnaround isn't there so now he has to spend a couple of adventures protecting a baby Mm. while the baby's just like clearly imprinting on him and and feels safe with him etc and like playing with his stuff or whatever um and then it turns into oh i can't just let this thing die because i've spent enough time to realize this is just a baby uh and then later on i'm gonna jump around i think it's what you're talking the story in general yeah, later sure, on man. we find out um that he was basically orphaned in an empire attack he's a mm-hmm. foundling um and one of the things in mandalorian culture apparently is that foundlings are taken in and until they are of age they are protected yep um and then they are be- become mandalorian because mandalorian isn't just a play a planet it's also a creed right mm-hmm. um and so you see why why he thought so much to a baby alone, right? Because he was also he lost his parents and he was not he was protected. And so it kind of makes sense on top of that. Um in a way that you could easily so without that like backstory again, because it's written so well and it's fed to us slowly, it like if you're questioning like really what like he's so cold in the first couple of episodes uh how come he's now warming up to this kid is this cloying and it's like no actually his backstory makes it so that yeah. it makes sense yeah. and that's super smart and i it, it makes it like because they fed that slowly you're like you see the flashbacks in the first couple of episodes of his planet being attacked and his parents clearly dying um you they like they imprint that before he like you think feed you that before you see him warm up to the child, but they've already sort of established that notion of co-orphancy. And then he thaws. And again, because it's, it's a slow from need to protect my money to Mm. want to protect the child to, I can't follow through with this. All of those are so organic and you've already like, they foreshadowed this change anyway. And I, yeah, so just really well-written and also, yeah, it, it, and they also like subtly, like I said, draw those those like protectionist things over the first few episodes that you're like, ah, okay. Um, and I think the biggest one of that is ep four. 
So, like, he makes the decision to, like, F3 is where he saves the kid. Mm-hmm. And you kind of get the idea that he's just, like, not cool with weird empire experiments yep. on a baby, which is totally cool. And it, it, and you're like, okay, but it's episode four, the seven samurai episode, which is the two and a half samurai, because <laughs> we'll count, we, we'll count the child as a half. Um, which, I mean, it is, okay, small tangent. I love the Western, like this is a Western, mm-hmm. the space Western, uh, but Westerns took a lot from samurai movies, especially Kurosawa, hence the Magnificent Seven is the seventh samurai in the West, um, like Fistful of Dollars is Yojimbo, is, right? So you see nods to both throughout the series mm. um, of like just strict, these. this is like samurai type film and these are Western tropes or whatever, yeah. and this is like the quintessential um, because the setting is like the Seven Samurai, it's much more rural feudal mm-hmm. than farms in in um, Magnificent Seven. Like the when I saw the reed basket and the hiding and those like water trough things, it's like that's like rice fields. Yeah, that's this. This is like first shot. I was like, oh, it's the Seven Samurai episode, isn't it? When, like, an attacking a village, all this, like, very feudal imagery and, like, really poor, not a lot of technology. It was, like, cool. And then, of course, it was. And I was, like, and they did it well enough. Like, I loved that episode, even though I knew exactly what was going to happen from, mm-hmm. from the from the start. Because it's just an homage to the Seven Samurai. But, uh yeah, it was just really good. But also, the interstitial scenes, instead of being about the broken love story which is a big part like of the seven samurai right there's that the tension between the the very skilled farmer lady and uh the protagonist which again same thing in both yep. right um is a lot of scenes of the child playing with other children yes, and being so happy well, yeah. and him being like i want him to be happy mm. and he even makes the decision at the end to like I will leave him here. And then it's like, nope, you can't. Bounty Hunters are tracking. Anyway, how about you? Is there a specific episode or like scene you wanted to? Yeah, I think, um, there's, there's a couple of, uh, there's a couple of episodes which I liked, uh, episode four being one of them. Um, but also the, the prisoner. So the episode where he has to go on the prison break, um, where he, uh, uh, he meets up with, I can't remember the character's name, but it's, uh, the, the rotund guy from Sons of Anarchy. Um, yeah. that they're, they're, they're friends and, um, he meets this kind of, this group that he's going to be going out with to, uh, break someone out of a, of a prison from, um, from an alliance ship as well, isn't it? Is it an alliance ship? A rebel, yeah. A rebel. A rebel. Yeah. And, um, I guess no, New Republic. That's New the, Republic. Cause we're in the, yes. we're in the New Republic in this. Yeah. Uh, and, there's a couple of characters on this uh, on this group who he is familiar with. One he's had uh, relations with, I suppose, would be the best way to to say it. But the, it, it shows the um, like the more dastardly side of the galaxy again, doesn't it? It's this kind of like here are all of these antiheroes or antagonists and the protagonists, dependent on yeah. kind of how you see the episode as it progresses through. And how they kind of deal with each other. And actually it's kind of constant double crosses. It's, it's almost like revenge all the time. And I think it just works really well as almost as a self-contained episode as well. That, that it doesn't drive the bigger narrative along. It's, it's a little bit of a break from that, 
whilst we're still seeing some elements, you know, the relationship between him and the child, uh, the child's abilities as well, and kind of how the underworld works and reacts. And it gives you that yeah. little bit of tension. You know, when the robot's on the ship kind of exploring around, uh, it, will he discover the child? What's going to happen there? And it's kind of interesting that you, it gives you a little bit of a bond with the child, even more than you kind of previously have. You're like, no, you can't, don't discover him, leave him kind of, but also wanting to see what? the child's like, powers as well. Like he does discover what's going to happen. Is this where we see kind of the extent of the child's powers? And you don't. The I mean, that's also so good because yep, absolutely. That, that scene with Zero pointing his gun at the the uh, at um the child, and the child is like, "I need to protect myself," and starts trying to force something, and you're like, mm. "What'll it be?" And then it, Zero just kind of explodes, and you're like. What is that? Oh, Mando's back on ship and shot <laughs> yep. him in the back. Cool, yep. cool, cool. Um, but I agree. I also think it's from the story, like the arc of the, the series, it's such a good episode because, um, so I think, so loved Seven Samurai episode, even though it's kind of like a bottle episode, which I think mm-hmm. the series is kind of great at these bottle episodes. Yes. Um, I think I want to see more of that in season two than just story arc ones. Mm. Again, in eight episodes, um, you're setting up and then you, you want your two part finale, which also was very good. Yeah. But like, I also thought chapter five, the gunslinger was the weakest episode by far. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, I was kind of bored by it. It felt really like, I think part of it is they just like, how do we get this weird assassin job while keeping the baby safe? Ah, oh, just give it to a lady character. Mm. Um, and just we won't deal with the like core tension. Of, of the earlier stuff. Like, it was really weird when he fought the horn beast and he just had the floating cradle and you're like, why is he bringing a child? Right. The child is his, right. At this point, the child is just his, like, cash. Yep. Uh, and he can't trust Jawas. So he can't leave the child in the sand crawler. Mm-hmm. He has to take it with him. Boy, is that weird. And you see that tension of, it's a tiny, fragile-seeming being that he needs alive, but he also can't be apart from it, but mm. he's doing all this regular Mando Dangerous stuff. Weird, right? Um, and in the, in, the, in the Gunslinger, they just ignore that. While in the Prisoner, there's tension around that clearly, once he's discovered, it's a thing that he's worried about. Um, and what makes the Prisoner so well done is that before we get into the two-part finale... We're reminded of what a friggin' badass it is because, like, Sanctuary, Gunslinger is mostly, like, about double crosses and, yeah. like, reminding us that, I think the point is, it's reminding us that he's not safe. Uh, because the whole point is the Thieves Guild or whatever, the Bounty Hunters Guild is all angry at him. Mm. But Prisoner's about, oh yeah, when he's not having to juggle, like, when, when the, the, the child is roughly safe, He's going to take out all these other badass people one by one. Like it starts out like a kind of like he's the cornered rat, right? Mm. And he, it quickly turns into basically like an alien-like experience where he's the xenomorph. Yeah, he's stalking he's just this, through like, the corridors. Unstoppable, yeah, absolutely. Like yeah. as soon as he stops the big brute, it's like you're all done, mm. slowly but surely. Um, yeah. So I, I really like the preserve as well because it, like, one, it was just flexing his badassness, but kept, even though the child wasn't in most of the show, it kept, by having it discovered and then 
with the double cross, you're thinking if they get back on the ship, what's going to happen to the child? Like they kept this child stakes throughout the episode while with that, instead of just kind of ignoring it. Yeah. 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 I, I, I agree. I think maybe we can move on to kind of the, the finale and, uh, and what we think maybe of uh, how successful it has been. And there's uh, maybe one scene I just kind of want to bring up as well, which uh, again, I really liked is where he is traveling to um, with, um, Oh no, his name has gone from my mind. Apollo Creed, Carl Weathers, um, with his character, they're, they're, yeah. you know, he said, look, uh, I want you to get the Empire out of the, out of the town. I'll make everything good with the guild again if you help me basically get them off planet. And he agrees to that. And they're, they land really far away and they have to track their way. Okay. And then there's that nighttime scene where these giant flying creatures all come in, just cause like carnage. Well, like, I'm glad they threw something else in there. And like, it's, it's absolutely there to show the child's healing ability and to let everyone know that this is what the child can do. Um, and, it, and, I think it, it's exactly even better than that because it, it's in the scene where they're talking about the plan and Carl Weathers is like, it's this easy. He only has four stormtroopers around him. Like, don't worry about it. And it foreshadows that their plans aren't great because they can't even camp safely. Yeah. And sure enough, the, like the regular plan goes, goes to shit in multiple ways. Right. So like, it's really good foreshadowing. Uh, you lose a couple of the blurgs. Um, so poor, um, Nick Nolte, uh, is sad. Um, Quill. Uh, you, we have to talk about like actors who played things in the show because it's madness. <laughs> but yeah, I also agree. Uh, grief carga, it, that's what turns him, right? He's like, I owe this child. Yes. Uh, cause it saved my life. Um, and it, it's also so, it's like a jump scare scene. Like you mm. don't expect it. And the whole scene is really poorly lit because it's at a campfire. Mm. And so like it's just flashes of things and, it works so well with like the CGI because it's dark, but also just in general, it, it, it gives you the sense of who the fuck's dying. Like, are, are they going to take some of the other dudes? And I think they took one of the other dudes. Yeah. I can't remember. Um, but no one really felt safe. Uh, and I even, I even got caught in the, like when they kept pushing the kid away, I'm like, are they, is Carl Weathers going to die? Cause they're too stupid to let force heal happen. Like, I <laughs> like, you should know that's not going to happen, right? But but I was so invested in the narrative that I was legit like, ah, fuck, this is ridiculous, people. Let the kid heal you. Um, versus like when you're not like deep into like the claws of the narrative, pardon the the pun, um, you get tricked by it. That's why the, the but that's why it works, right? It's so well written. Yeah. The stakes feel big that you're just sort of like, oh. Well, this might not go the right way. <laughs> Absolutely. And there's also, there's a scene earlier on as well where he kind of force chokes, uh, Cara Dune as well, uh, the, the, the child. Super badass. Um, and, and it's kind of like, you can, you, you sort of almost see both sides of things, but understand that he's also a child. Yes, he might be 50 years old, but you kind of see how he's got that protective nature. He, he, he needs to protect himself, but also he can see those elements where, he, as a character, is like, I'm going to heal this. After this big thing that's happened, they've protected me. I need to now help them in some well, way. I, I can do I, so as well. I mean, he, he also tries to do it earlier to the Mando just in the very yes, like, yeah, beginning. And then the Mando keeps pushing him away, which mm. 
is again well like orchestrated across the series. Yep. That no one he tries to do things by, by instinct and you're like blah. But I think that's what's great. It's like he's clearly a gentle child because mm-hmm. his instincts are almost always help heal. It's just help Mando yes. is choke Kara because he's still a baby mm-hmm. and he doesn't get like he doesn't get this is like a friendly contest. Yep. Uh, and he's just watching and like they, they're amping it up because they can't finish this arm wrestle, right? Like, and so they're getting more aggressive and it's that like change to, oh, I'm going to have to like just turn it up a notch and really put it in to win this. I, I'm, I'm not going to have my friendly banter and just exertion. I need to like use emotion to fuel. And as soon as that switch turns, he's like, oh, this thing's angry at my, my, my dad figure. Yeah. No. And it's great. It's also like, Oh, of course, like, these are all just force powers you choose not to use. Absolutely. It's not yeah, like you yeah. don't have access, like, which a lot of Star Wars is sort of like, these are light side powers, these are dark side powers, but you don't think, at least on like choke, because it's just literally using your force, the, like an actual force to close air around someone's neck. Of course, it's not like lightning, which maybe you need access to deeper parts of the dark side. It's just, in the same way I can lift and push things, I can push your windpipe close. Mm-hmm. Like, it's got to be the same sort of family of, of universal powers. You just choose not to use it against people. Absolutely. And the baby doesn't know any better. And when you see other characters, like, opening doors and things with their force power and stuff like that, it's the same, you would imagine, set of kind of physics that are yeah. that, that are enabling that as well. So, yeah, really, really good at showing sort of the infantile nature of the child uh, and, um, and, and kind of how he reacts to the different situations. Um, so, so the last bit of story I wanted to say, uh, obviously I'm big on overarching stuff, but I really liked how they had people pop in and out between episodes. Mm, yeah. Because what makes a good sort of, it's an ensemble story pretending to be a loner story. Mm-hmm. And they trick you by having Kara feel like a one-off. He yep. meets her on the planet. He's like, I need your help. They clearly bond. They relax a bit before he moves on. Done. But then she shows up because he needs help for the last two episodes. Um, we have his like only seeming friend be grief Karga, mm-hmm. uh, Carl Weathers. Uh, and then they, but then he betrays the guild. So now he, now his like only friendly person in the entire first few episodes is, is literally an enemy now. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out even when he like calls for peace, he's trying to double cross him. Yeah. But the child's like healing abilities ends up saving Mando from betrayal. Uh, and then grief is now on his side and, and he remains on his side throughout the rest of the, the, the last two episodes. Um, but then the very, the second to last scene basically is grief saying, I'm going to stay here on Navarro uh, and rebuild the, do you want to say thieves skills? I played too many, um, um, in <laughs> fantasy games. Fantasy games. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the bounty hunting guild, uh, and Kara's like, I'm going to stay here too and get new credentials via him. And then we'll see. But like, so even when they had this huge adventure and you're like, yeah, this works because we've got IG 11, we've got Quill, we've got Kara, we've got grief for such a small, like there's only like 10 people per episode, right? Really? Mm. Like it's so half. Except for like throwaway soldiers, like of the named characters, half of the named characters basically are on his side in the last two episodes. And then it ends with, but it's me on my way. I'm a loner. 
<laughs> and again, it's just really good to have like good quality writing that makes you yes. feel like he's always alone, but he's secretly never alone. Mm-hmm. Like even in the prisoner, he he's like, oh, I have this old friend, and so it starts with, I'm on this team job because of a connection I have from my past, and it turns out that connection is bad. So yeah. by the end of the episode, he's clearly alone. So you start with, oh, right, he has a past, so he's got people to rely on. No, he doesn't. Mm. Yeah. Even and but we get to have have half an episode where he, it's him doing a job with four other people or whatever, um, but it doesn't work. So he's back alone, and like that interplay of giving him compatriots to make more compelling action and storyline, but taking it away that in a way that doesn't feel super artificial. Mm, absolutely, will be tougher in season yeah. two, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to see how they do that. Um, yeah. Bring and them then kind of I back just want to make them reoccurring throughout the episodes. Yeah. And the last scene is just the very iconic end of the series with, um, Gideon crawling on top of the, climbing on top of the time fighter with his vibroblade still going. Mm. And you're like, so if you thought this was just westerns and a western imagery, you're like, no, we get where westerns got a lot of their thing tropes and we're going to that well too. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just like, oh, he's. Real badass. He's mm. like half a Darth Vader costume with a blade. Clearly not a, a Jedi or a Sith, but more dangerous than a bureaucrat. Yes, yeah. He's not just an officer. It's not just an Imperial officer. Um, and I, I think that that kind of the ending, the, the the big battle, everything is a really good sort of combination of the series. You know, we, we're getting that kind of not the, to the extent that the movies give you some kind of sort of like pitch battles and space battles and things, but you've got some big action scene. But it's a it's a good back and forth as well between the um, between the characters and the Empire. You know, they progress a little bit. The Empire gets a little bit better. They bring out the big gun. Mando gets blown up. Um, and taken inside and, and kind of has to be healed a little bit. And, and then there's that kind of, they're trying to escape and the Empire on top of them and then something out, you know, all of those little things, which are showing this nice sort of like cat and mouse element that the Empire, whilst the New Republic around, the Empire are still a force to be reckoned with. That, you know, even though they are kind of an officer with maybe their, uh, their attachment and that's kind of all they've got, they are still, uh, um, so bad, powerful in their own sort of yeah in their own right uh, and i think that does a very good job of still portraying the empire as the big bad and, and and as a powerful enough force to be uh you know that you don't want to go up against them really uh, and yeah that that final scene with um with gideon on the tie fire was badass it's really really good uh, they also i think did a really cool job of making the empire seem just in tatters yes yeah. with with like so, uh, I think it's probably a good segue into like talking more about characters, but, um, Werner Herzog, what a mm. stellar casting yeah. choice. He, he, and he just does it perfectly, but all his stormtroopers are in beat up, broken, like, 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 ratched armor. Uh, and you think, okay, so he's just on his own little wing and he's doing this weird thing in the name of the Empire, but he's clearly just like essentially tattered mercenary warlord they they mention all these things like mercenaries warlords but actually he's just probably trying to get in good with gideon who clearly yes. is has a chunk of part of the galaxy that is still empire empire because everything they've got access to money new equipment shiny stormtroopers they have the coordination and setup of like we are still the empire versus we're like just a, a group 
Um, and like the, the whole plan of like, once you kill Werner Herzog, they'll scatter because they're just like, they're just basically mercenaries at this yeah. point. Doesn't yeah. work with Gideon because that's an empire battalion, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's all the strengths of the, the top down structure of the empire from, and Gideon's the top of this chunk. Uh, and, and it, and one of the re- like he ends up killing all of Werner Herzog's people. It's cause like you get the idea that, oh, these, he's using these like, offshoot people as pawns try and get his job done and when they were failing it doesn't matter because they're not really his mm-hmm. people these are just throwaway people who want back into the real empire which is still there yes yeah absolutely uh, we've talked a lot about characters um yeah. do you have a do you have a standout do you have one character which you uh, kind of really like or really disliked um oh <laughs> so I mean, in the Gunslinger, there was like nothing I liked it character-wise. I thought all the characters were really flat. Um, but that's just because I think the episode was the weakest of the bunch. Uh, again, with Werner Herzog, even though we ended up not being the big, big bad, I think, especially in those first three episodes, where, you know, uh, he, he assigns the job, gets the, the kid, and then gets betrayed. Um, he's so good. Like, he, 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 you get the notion of power, even though his group doesn't, isn't well tailored. Mm. Um, and like the, and like you get the idea that he's really in charge of at the time, right? Yeah. Like he's yeah. in charge of this chunk because he's got the doctor dude and he's like, I get that in your line of work, <laughs> things can get a little messy, but so in that case, proof of termination will get you half. <laughs> and you're like, and then the doctor's like, no, but we, we, we need it. And he's like, enough. <laughs> and it's just like, like, he, it's clearly a, a live job. That's what, like, life capture, that's what grief tells him, right? And then he gets there and he's like, I understand. I just want you to do the job. And it's like, this is amazing. And, and he, like, there's so much gravitas to his character. Yeah, there is. I don't yeah. remember his character's name. I just think of him as Space Werner Herzog. Um, <laughs> So he's a really big one. I also really like Gina Carano. Mm-hmm. I was surprised how much I liked her character, um, who, which was like super in depth written, but she imbued it really well. Yeah. Like there's like the, like, she, so she's this ex shock trooper. She clearly hates the empire. So when he's like, it's against the empire, she's like, she's like, I'm, I'm not doing anything. Well, and like the end of episode seven or whatever, or maybe beginning of her beginning of episode seven when he grabs her and he's like, She's like, I, I'm not doing jobs. I'm basically retired. And it's like, oh, it's against the empire. She's like, I'm in. Mm. And, and like the way she just quickly was like, of course. And she, I mean, she still has, even when she's told to cover up her, um, like her shock trooper tattoos, she doesn't cover up her new republic tattoo under her eye. And it's like, <laughs> you're going against the empire and you're like, I love the new republic. <laughs> what? Uh, and like the fact that she on like barely weapons combat, like is on par with Mando. That's mm. her introduction, right? Uh, and like she literally gets the jump on him, uh, is really cool. Um, and she just, I think, played a really good role of, we, we've seen some shit and I'm a soldier and like that bonds us. And like, yes. So after Sanctuary, she's more inclined to help him out, especially because the Empire, but then you don't feel like she's over invested when she's like, you are coming with me. Because it, it, it's not like she's a mercenary, right? She's yes, she's a yeah. shock trooper that's now out of work and has some problems. But they they 
she's seen his soft side. She's seen he's trying to do the right thing. And she's like, you cannot die here. And it didn't feel like a false love story type thing that these shows often like these trope, like it wasn't the trophy. I can't let you die here because, you know, I'm falling for you or whatever. Mm-hmm. It was just like, we are comrades. Yeah. This is not how it goes. You cannot die. Yeah. And I think a lot that could be acted way differently and feel like the trope. And it wasn't because I think, uh, Cara Dune just w- was played really well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, and similarly, uh, I really like grief. Um, I, I think Harwell's plays that character perfectly. He, he, he comes across as, uh, as the schemer. It is, it yes, is what you want from that character. Absolutely. That he will just turn on you at a moment's notice. But in the back of his head, he is always trying to work out what is best for him, um, and that is and that is how he lives his life. And I, I thought he he brought that really really well. You know, it wasn't didn't seem flippant. Um, it was very much you could you could see that he was like right how you, you know the, the cogs were saying like what what will be best for me, and yeah. this is now what I'm going to attach myself to. And okay, maybe there's a little bit of a not a bond as such, not the same. Um, with Cara Dune and um, and uh, Din Jardin, but um, he has a little bit of respect, at least for him, to think yeah. mm, maybe we can, maybe I will let you know that it's a double cross, but then it's another double cross, and I'm now going to hang out with you guys. But a little bit of that because he was healed the night before, and you know those sorts of things. Yeah. You, you can see the the depth of that character in the way that he kind of. Uh, um, um, Kind of works his, his 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 relationship with the other characters through the series. Yeah, and I think the key there there is that he has some sense of honor. Yes, not just in, yeah. out for himself. Yeah, and you think you get that like given the uh, um, bounty hunters guild's code, like there is a code. You get that that's mm. why he's risen to some notion of you know he's like what local union president basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also it makes it so that like that final scene of those characters where he's so like, yeah, you take your time. You're always welcome here. You'll get the best jobs. Don't worry about it, buddy. And you're like, you are a salesman. Yeah. Like you, you like, it's this happy ending. And you know, part of this is genuine. Like there's a home for you here, but the rest is just, you're a scary man and we're on good terms. And I'm just going to say nice things to you. Yeah. And that's why it works so well is because he, like Carl Weathers gets to act pretty earnestly mm. because he knows that all the previous acting will, will will like push for this notion of this is not super genuine yeah. versus I think someone lesser would have tried to make it sound salesman and he actually sounds like if you actually listen to it it's pretty earnest sounding but that's just because it doesn't need to be played any less earnest because you've known enough about grief yeah absolutely yeah um Let's round out our conversation then, uh, and chat a little bit perhaps about the, the production of the show, uh, and to have a very tenuous link. From Carl Weathers, I just want to talk about that music. Uh, the intro music, it's just got enough Star Wars to it, but the first time I heard it, I thought, this is like, this is like a Rocky theme tune. Like it, it has that kind of, Really? Yeah, yeah. I didn't get uh, Rocky from it. You're oh. talking about like the, the main theme? Yes, the main theme. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, the uh, intro theme, right? With, all the, like tr- with all the school. trumpets and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely love that. And it was, it's completely uh, unexpected. I'm like, 
this is this is an amazing piece of music to accompany something you, that it, it sets itself kind of apart enough from Star Wars, but still has those those through lines to, to make you know that it's a Star Wars show. Have you seen a lot of spaghetti westerns? Uh, yes, and it is very got, much that. that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I I think what you're saying is it, it is a spaghetti western, like it's a uh, Maricone space. Like a spin on Maricone to, to, mm-hmm. who did like all, all the Dollars trilogy, right? Uh, I think that's the right name. I'm probably wrong now. Shout out Twitch chat and Twitter. It's fine. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's, it's spin on that and it makes it feel Star Warsy still. Mm, yes. Um, and yeah. I think it's, it, it, to, it like toes that line perfectly. It, it feels like you're going to watch a Western and it feels like you're going to watch a Star War and it turns out that's exactly what happens. Mm. Um, I also really, on the, on the music front, I really like the main score, uh, like the, the main, like Mandalorian theme mm-hmm. that goes throughout. That's like the little more baseline-y thing with a couple twinkles. Yes. Yeah. Which is a nod to Westerns as well. But again, but it has enough ominous and then hopeful that it works in so many scenes because that's basically the, the literal theme of the series. Mm. It's like this, all this ominous stuff happening, but also, there's the child and this relationship and this orphan foundling stuff. And that's the twinkle. And it's yeah. just so well matched. And so you, you, you hear it. Like once you hear it, notice it, you hear it throughout so many really impactful scenes or like interstitial scenes where something impactful has just happened and it just reinforces a lot. And it's just really well done. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think it's, it's, it shows the level of production and the quality, um, you know, not just from the acting and the writing and, and everything, but from that level of production and that music, which is, which fits so, so well, uh, um, just shows that they've taken care with this. And I think that comes through as well in the way that it's shot in the edits. They haven't done, you know, they've not gone over the top with, with CGI. Um, it, it's, it's quite downplayed. You know, talking about that scene at the, of the campfire, you know, Taking that lighting down and and doing all of that stuff can allow them to, uh, you know, whilst maybe keeping the budget down a little bit, it lets them kind of have this character which they're not having to sort of like fully render um, and making it a little bit more scary that you can't see exactly what what things yeah. are. Uh, then you've got the big horned beast, which looks good. There's a couple of little bits in this where CGI does look a little, uh, you know, against the grain of the rest of the show. Uh, I found that the worst on ships flying over beautiful vistas. Yeah, yeah. I, f- I found that it really stuck out in a way that it, I think in uh, in the Star Wars films because they don't bother going to vistas, it doesn't. You're just like, this is fake thing, a fake thing flying through fake place, and then they're like, we'll go to real place, but have fake thing. But overall, I, I agree. I think the fact that there's a lot of costume and practical effects and puppets, mm. this is why it feels like a lived-in and a Star Wars thing. This is yeah. why I really liked it because practical effects have so much more, such a larger impact. Um, and the mix of CGI and practical is really well chosen. Like sometimes you notice the CGI, but often there's a couple transitions where they switch and mm. you're, and then you're like, is that good CGI or is that a, I don't know. And often I just stopped tracking it. Yeah. Unless like there was something jarring and that's because jar jarring. Uh, that's because they, um, they, they did spend the time to make it in the editing room and also the planning room, right? Because you have to, 
you film the puppets, you insert the CGI. So you have to make yes. really smart production decisions on when to use both. So one of the things that, that I sucked was the, the, the IG-11 is one of my, was a great character. Taika mm-hmm. plays it to a T. Also, I love how he directed that and I think wrote that episode and put him as the first named cast by, because of that hilarious <laughs> scout, um, interplay. Uh, yep. So he's, he's first cast in order of appearance, IG-11, Taika, after directed by Taika. But he also has this huge farewell thing, but it, the robot slogging through the lava is obviously CGI, and it was like, ah, because there's definitely a IG-11 out there that they use for a bunch of the scenes. Mm. Uh, and I like that, in obviously, in the action and the spinning and stuff is not practical, but I liked that they had a non-CGI bit. And it just sucks that his last scene was very animated. Yeah. In not yeah. the right way. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I, I thought it was, I mean, there's niggling bits, but I think they overall, they found a good balance between the two. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, uh, before we get to final thoughts, mm. um, I did have my largest complaint about the series. Oh, okay. And that it's, it's the thing. It's the stupid tracking MacGuffin. Um, because in this universe, there are trackers that have the bio identity of something that the bad guys never had possession of, we mm-hmm. think. Yeah. Right? Uh, and it's not like it was in the cradle, because we swapped that out. It's just, this thing tracks anyone from anywhere. If you have the right code, you can track anyone in the entire galaxy, and... How did Obi-Wan survive? <laughs> it's obviously new tech. It was only made a couple of days but ago. I, I, I mean, and like, the, I get giving all everyone trackers. I wish it was like more of, they, it turns out someone who, like, we don't know what the child's story before the weird bandits had him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I wish it was like, oh, there's a chip we're going to have to try and remove because we thought it was in the cradle, but actually there was a secondary tracking chip. Because it just, it makes so many weird questions. For example, why not track the Mandalorian for revenge? Yeah, yeah. Uh, how is Kara off the grid? Because she doesn't have, so Mando might, because they, apparently he's just been off the grid for long enough. That's his magic specialty. His ship has never been registered, and maybe he was never in log banks because he got saved when he was so young and all the records got destroyed or whatever, right? All, all, all those maybes, right? But Kara doesn't have that. She was literally part of the New Republic. If she's on the run, she gets found. Yeah, and it's like, I think technology it's... just kind of, it, it broke it for me in the first couple episodes when it was clear that it just magically tracked. And then throughout the series, like they get used more. And I'm like, it just, I don't buy it. I, I think it's too much of a MacGuffin and too, just like a easy thing to throw in without thinking through. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, it, it, it does, um, lead a little bit to, to Kara's character as well though. Um, that she is, she's in hiding. She's put herself into kind of this, 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 uh, isolation into hiding to get away from what we, we don't know. Um, but it also then speaks to, is she important enough that other people are trying to track her? Yes, they would. They might have her data from when she was a trooper, but is there anyone out there actually looking for looking her? For you know, we may get a little bit of that in the second season um, and see, uh, you know, a little bit more about her past and her character and, and that moving forward. But it, 
I think it speaks a little bit to that, but it definitely is uh, a problem um, for 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 a lot of it, especially when it's just a box with a couple of little antennas on and a little, little flashy and, and little it light. Seems to track like planets, like because like mm. that last assassin in the, the Seven Samurai episode somehow got to the sanctuary planet, yes. and yeah. then because the first it seemed like maybe it was just if you're close, is it proximity? Yeah, just driving around the galaxy. Oh, it's 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 lit up a little bit more. I'll go this way. Yeah, yeah, it's just. Yeah, I, found, I, 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 every time something like that popped up, I was like, really? But again, I suppose it's all about, you know, with bounty hunting, it's maybe a little bit about knowledge, a little bit about luck. Was that bounty hunter close enough to have heard that stuff was going yeah, down? So, so he went to investigate. So, so that part, I, w- I would agree. Like, look, they're all just searching the galaxy. Uh, maybe he found some trail of clues and, and just winged it. But again, the, the whole, the babe, the, like, the child is clearly the thing being tracked, not, not, yeah. not a chip or whatever. And it just raises too many questions about other parts, even within this series, let alone the general Star Wars universe mm-hmm. that yeah. I just, I found troublesome, I guess that, but like, that's fine, right? Like you wrote a MacGuffin. It happens. It's, it's still a sci-fi show. There are these things like the, 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 in a similar way, the distress beacon is, not attached to the station. It's literally the thing in the guy's hand <laughs> yeah. at the prisoner episode. So then they like, it was a good double cross. I loved it. it. It was, but I could stomach that more because I don't know. It felt like it's a universal distress beacon. And so given this is a new Republic thing and there's, a, they're launching a fighter. We'll assume this is bad and we'll shoot it up. But at the same point, oh, it's not a distress beacon. It's just a trouble beacon because if it was a distress beacon, they would never shoot Wouldn't the bad shoot. guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like at the end of the episode, I'm like, what the fuck was the beacon's like actual primary purpose? I don't understand. But also, eh. But because it's like a one-off, I'm willing to accept a one-off MacGuffin in an episode versus the main antagonist of the first like six episodes is the tracking beacons that <laughs> there's millions of yeah. and you're like these can't be hard to make and you just like type in the child don't no one even knows the race so it's not like they're like this is the genetic code you track it, it just it, it rubbed me the wrong way yeah but that's right yeah but again basically it right mm-hmm. I didn't like the gunslinger thought it was a weak episode didn't hate it just thought it was a weak episode and i didn't like the the notion of the tracking beacons mm-hmm. That's pretty damn good for, for April. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And I think that, that leads me to kind of my final thought is, uh, I just, I can't wait to get into the, the next season. I, I've been holding off on, um, watching the, I think the first two episodes right now, uh, yeah. as, as of, um, when we're recording this, uh, and I've been holding off on them until we've had this conversation. You know, I wanted to revisit it a little bit and, yeah. um, which I did so at the weekend and, and watch various things and, and, and refresh my memory on it. Um, so I'm now kind of up to speed when I go into kind of episode one and maybe, you know, I'll watch episode two a couple of days afterwards or something like that, uh, ready for, uh, then it to be back into that, that weekly cycle of watching it. Uh, but yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I think Mando was one of the, best shows last year um and i'm glad that even with uh kind of like covid and everything like that yes it's a little bit longer for the people in the states because they had it sometime in the spring i believe we got it in the autumn instead so it's only been a year for us in the uk um which which works out nice and i'm glad that they've managed to keep it on this kind of track i suppose um rather than it being pushed like other shows and movies and things like that have have done so yeah really um 
really looking forward to getting into it. How about yourself? Um, yeah, exactly. I was going to ask you what your um, hopes for the new series are, and, and maybe worry um, uh, if there is one. Yeah, uh, and I, then I can probably do the same. Uh, I, I hope they um, that it's not a retread of, of season one. Um, that it builds on those characters and the relationships, uh, and that we also have that good mix that we had in season one of, um, you know, following the story, but also those standalone episodes as well, which do play into the wider narrative, but give us, you know, like a side quest that goes off and does something a little bit. It might push, might push the, the narrative a little bit, but it's not a full episode about that. Um, that we have maybe not even like Mando or child specific. Um, standalone episodes, you know, maybe we have a standalone episode about Cara Dune and we see a little bit more about her as well, you know, that they expand it a bit, but that they don't stretch that out too much. Uh, and I, I don't want a Cara episode, I don't want a grief episode, I then don't want a man episode, you know, that it, it kind of things do still play in and flow very well through and it, and it feels right across the narrative of the season. It's not just a random episode thrown in here or there. Yeah, so I'm, I'm the same way, although I think I might be... So I think the bottle episodes are, even, even though my least favorite episode is one of them, are really great because I think that that's what the first few episodes felt like, even though they were very much the same. The overarching narrative was meet the child, save the child. Yep. And betray the child, right? So not in that order, obviously. Um, but uh, But it felt like a bottle episode because it was like... Get do the job, then have to get get to the bad guys, then change your mind and have this battle. Mm. These all felt like very sequential, but like part parted things. Uh, I do. I think the series is strongest when it feels like it's just him and the child on the road. Mm-hmm. And so, what I don't want it is to oh, we got really good uh, feedback and critical feedback about the story. I don't want it to become a story churn that turns it from sort of a, a serial type feeling serialized fiction type feeling show to an eight hour movie. Um, I think that would make the series worse. Yeah. So I want to, I want, I liked the fact that they trusted the audience to get drip fed narrative. Yep. And I want them to keep drip feeding it. And like, so now he's basically at the end of the uh, series, he's tasked with raising the child until it it can be safe Mm. or until he basically gets it to Mandalorian, other people to raise it in who are Mandalorian. Right. Um, And I think that's, Great, because that basically says you're on the road with this child, mm. right? It's it's a it's, it's the medium size and littlest hobos. Um, <laughs> I would have said largest, but then I remembered that big beefy dude. Yeah, the, the, yeah. But um, so that's the thing that I um, I, I'm I'm look worried that they will not take the win. Why this was really successful to heart, and and maybe feed fan discourse a little too much. Mm. Like mm-hmm. Disney is pretty notorious for chasing what the opinion is rather sure. than what the creative vision is. So I'm really hoping that it doesn't happen, but I, I, I'm pretty happy with the team. John Favreau's clearly got a good vision and I, he has a good history of, yeah, Iron Man 2 wasn't as good as Iron Man 1. Uh, that was still, I think, Favreau involved. I can't remember. Yeah. But like, anyway, uh, I think it's, it's good and I'm looking forward to it to see more bottle adventures and get more information about his past. And I, I'd be happy if Gideon wasn't super involved and there was like a different sort of arc that got him in trouble for a few episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, 
like a mini boss type thing. Yeah, it's not it's not straight into a, a follow up of where season one sort of finished. Yeah, yeah. So like, if it just becomes them on the run from Gideon, it will be less good. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Good. Basically, my thought. Yeah. Brilliant. So uh, they are our thoughts on uh, the Mandalorian season one. Um, come back in the coming weeks to uh, where I'm sure we'll talk about season two, um, maybe when it's all finished. Uh, but next Probably. week. I think we're going to get together again to talk about another topic. Maybe a little Spider-Man topic. Oh, well, a little Spider-Man. A little Spider-Man. Spider-Man or like a bunch of Spider-Men. A Spider-Men. That's true. Where Spider-Men is the things gender neutral that English mm. has to have. Uh, the, the, the plural <laughs> they. This, yes. Um, spider theys. Yeah. Um, uh, we're saying into the Spider-Verse <laughs> for those of you trying to actually decode the nonsense that's coming out of our mouths. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So we're going to return next Monday, again, at midday uh, for Geek Out Weekly. Um, and that will continue on until we run out of topics, which will never happen because there's so many things to talk about. And hopefully yep. we'll have other guests coming on uh, to give their opinions and maybe some interviews as well uh, from people kind of in the industry. You can go to outlives.net to look at all of the other shows, read articles and all that other stuff. You can catch this if you tuned in too late or you'd like to recap it. It's going to be up as a podcast, uh, hopefully coming up this week, and we're going to be putting it on our YouTube page as well. So you can rerun this and join in the conversation like that too. Uh, remember, when the podcast service does start up, or that podcast show starts up, subscribe, like it if you want, rate it, do all of those sorts of things, as you can do on Twitch. You can subscribe there. You can do that on YouTube too. All of those things. I'll let you yeah. interject. What were you going to say? I was just like, and if you wanted to hassle Ben directly, you can reach him at underscore 47. Yep. Uh, uh, on all the things and me at the Omniarch on all of the things. And if you want to tweet us, um, out of lives network at out of lives network, that is where you can reach us. Uh, that's our main Twitter for the website and, cha- uh, and we aren't going to have a separate one for this podcast. Uh, so, uh, that's the main one. Go message us. Tell us why we're wrong about the Mandalorian or why <laughs> the Gunslinger is secretly the best episode because, uh, you know, reasons. Or let us know your thoughts on uh, Enter the Spider-Verse and we can uh, incorporate that oh, yeah, into the show yeah, next week. Yeah, if you have any questions or topics or interesting facts you want to bring up uh, on Spider-Verse, let us know and we will bring we will chat about them on the episode next Monday Brilliant. at noon. Perfect. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Uh, we will catch you soon. Bye www.outoflives.net